Proverbs for the, really the rest of the summer. We'll go from May through August in the book of Proverbs. Um, we're going to take one more, uh, one more step in this series, Be You, by looking at our, our, our really our global outreach ministry. Because I'm telling you, there's so much going on here at Grace Chapel, you just can't do it justice in one sermon. And I'd be rushing through it, fire hosing you, and you'd be like, what on earth? Business trees and Nigeria, what's going on? So I want to take it a little bit slower, all right? Um, you know, it feels really great to help someone who's in need. It feels really great to use your gifts and abilities to impact the lives of other people, to see the lives of people transformed. But this morning, I want to put a little bit of a twist on the idea of serving. I want to add a little twist to it. In our world of entitlements and expectations, the question I want to ask is, who should we serve? Who should we serve? Now, as I go through this, I got a little nervous last service, last service but it worked out really fine. Um, as I go through this, I want you to know that we at Grace Chapel, we spend a, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of time serving the needs of people in our, in our own church, in our community, in our nation, and around the world. So if you've been here more than a week, you know that. But this morning, I want to ask a, a really serious question that many of you struggle with and that we need to answer as believers in Jesus Christ. And that is, who should we serve? Should we just serve whoever asks and, you know, just carte blanche, throw everything out there? It doesn't really matter. Well, using the Bible as our guide, I want to contrast two different terms in the Bible. One term is a sluggard and the other is the poor. Okay, so we have two terms going on. We ask the question, who should we be investing our resources? And I say, hey, here are the offering boxes here and here, you know, give to the church. We're out there making a difference in the world. And the question you should really be asking is, well, where does some of this? What do these resources go? Who are we investing in? How are we serving? How do we determine who to serve? We're going to look at two different biblical terms, the sluggard and the poor. Let me start off with kind of telling you a story that I'll lay a foundation you're walking down any street, whether it's in Mason or in downtown Cincinnati or in Westchester, Lebanon, doesn't really matter. And some man or woman comes up to you and says, hey, uh, can you give me some money? I am um, I, I, out of work. Um, I'm homeless. I just need enough money to get a bus to the nearest food pantry. And uh, and if you give me that money, I really appreciate it. any amount of money will help. You know, a quarter, a dollar, five bucks, any, any amount of money you could give me would help. Now. The question I have is, should you help? If a person walks up to you and asks for money like that, should you help? Now, some would say yes without hesitation. They'd say yes because they say, you know, it's not my place to judge if that person's lying to me or not. Not my place to judge. And besides, what would Jesus do? They'll ask that with passion. What would Jesus do? That's a great question. What would Jesus do? Well, being Jesus first, he would basically look into the person's heart and determine the right course of action. Depending on the, his assessment, he, he, would, he would actually get involved and he would act accordingly. If the person was truly biblically poor, then he would feed them, he would help them, he would encourage them, he would give them what they need to, to give them a hand up. But if the person was a sluggard, and I'm not using that, someone said, boy, in the very beginning you said sluggard. I thought it was be kind of mean to use that term. It's a biblical term. It's, it's just something that the book of Proverbs and other places in the Bible would call a person who's basically really lazy a sluggard. But what would Jesus do? He'd help the poor person. Okay, no problem there. But what he would do with the sluggard is, at best, give them some very strong advice and a warning like he did in Matthew chapter 25 when he was talking about the parable of the talents. He would warn that person that their life is not going the direction that it should be going. And if they continue to go down this path, here is the end result of their life here on earth. And here's the end result of their life in the, in the afterlife. So Jesus would, would speak to a slugger in such a way to give them stern advice. So then I guess what's the difference? We have to ask the difference between a sluggard, you know, someone who's poor because they're, they're a lazy sluggard, and someone who's actually a poor person from a biblical perspective, who's truly poor. Okay, and the Bible differentiates here. So that's what I'm doing this morning. The Bible differentiates between a person who's poor and, 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 and their situation they're in because they're a sluggard and a person who's poor for other reasons. Now, it's important for us, you and I, to have this information when deciding whom to serve because you and I, as biblical Christians, as Christians, have no obligation whatsoever to help a person who's a lazy sluggard. 
The only thing we have an obligation to do is give that person advice. When I'm down in, in Cincinnati, many times I'll be down there and someone will say to me, hey, you know, you have a few dollars for this or a few dollars for that. And I'll, I'll basically try to discern and assess the situation. But more, than, more times than not, what I'll do in that situation is give the person advice. I'll say, you know what you really should be doing? Number one, stop drinking. Okay? Person just reeks of alcohol, whatever. Stop drinking. Okay, whatever drugs you're taking, you need to get off that as well. Here's a place that you can go that will help you with that. Here's a place, here's Jobs Plus, a place that will help you get on track and you can learn how to, how to prepare yourself to get a job. Um, go back and, and reconcile with your family. I'm sure you've done a lot of damage there. You need to reconcile with your family. You need to reconcile with God. You need to get your right life with, uh, life right with the Lord. And I give them that advice. Now, they don't want to listen to that. They want me to give them a dollar and just move on my way. But that to me is a big waste of time. I'm not going to give someone money who's going to go and use it to on something else that actually will damage them. So, you know, as Christians, we're responsible for giving people who are sluggards advice, but we're not responsible for giving them anything else. That's the way you help someone in that situation. So let's look at the characteristics of a sluggard. Okay. What are the characteristics of a sluggard as opposed to someone who's biblically poor? Well, a sluggard loves to procrastinate. Um, the model of a sluggard is there, the best time to do any job or any activity is tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. You ever, how many people watch Andy Griffith at all? You like the Andy Griffith show? I love it. I, I, we watched that for years. I have every episode. Remember the one with Buddy Epson who was kind of a hobo and he was hanging out with Opie? It's Opie and the, his hobo friend, it's called. And the, Buddy Epson's sitting there on the porch and Andy gives him a job. And Buddy Epson's got the clippers and he's sitting there and, he, and he's talking about, man, he could do this motif and he could do that motif. And how about this? And, and Opie says, pa, you know, Pa just usually lops it off the top, you know. And he sits there and he tells him, well, here's what we're going to do, Opie. We're going to do it this way tomorrow. And it's like nine o'clock in the morning. And Opie's kind of confused. He goes, Opie, there's no better time to start a job than tomorrow. Tomorrow is the best day that was ever invented. You can do anything. You can start any job and do anything tomorrow. And that's what a sluggard's motto is. Tomorrow is the best day to start any job. Sluggards have developed the ability to start a task or, or find a job or meet obligations another day. OK, not today. It'll be all they need to do and they just need to figure out. And once they figure out, they'll do it another day. And they tell the most wonderful stories in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. It says this. The sluggard says there's a lion outside or I will be murdered in the streets. And now that you say, well, there's no, you know, a lion outside and you know, a murdered in the streets. You know, that's kind of funny. It's, it's, you know, using a little bit of humor there, but that's the, that's their, that's their situation. Whatever excuse you want to, you want to add on to that, go right ahead. All the excuses you've ever heard of people that you are around. And I'm not just talking about, you know, we, oh, I don't know any sluggards. Well, yeah, you really, you do. If you, if you own a business, you've, you've had people work for you who are sluggards. You've had them work for you. Oh, I would love to. Oh, <laughs> I can't, you know. I, well, I can't do this and I'm sick that day. And there's always a reason why they can't fulfill the obligation, why they can't get the project done, why they can't do this, why they can't do that. There's a lion outside. And how could you dare ask me to go and do that? What if I'm murdered in the streets? It's on your head if I'm murdered. What if, what if I, my, oh, my leg's acting up or my, my hip starts to bother. Oh, my neck's got a creak in it. You know what I mean? How could you torture me by asking me to lift that thing up with my bad arm? You know, my arm's really bad. And they have excuses and stories for just about everything. According to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the sluggard fully intends to work as soon as he gets a little more sleep. Just, you know what I mean? If he had a little more sleep, he'd be fine. In Proverbs chapter chapter 5 or chapter 10, verse 5, it tells us that when the time for harvest comes, the sluggard's just not ready to get out into the fields just then. Tomorrow will be a great time. It'll, they'll be much more ripe at that time. The grapes or whatever, they're going to be much more ripe tomorrow. You know what I mean? The slugger has made it a habit. They, they are always just about ready to do any job that you want them to do. Just not now. Some other day. Maybe later. Or, you know, I, I would love to do it for you, but 
Um, you know how you know how it is. You know, I just how I feel. You know, here's another. There's another other, number of other examples of their failure to, to finish tasks in the book of Proverbs. Let me share a few. The sluggard buries his hand in his dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Twenty six fifteen. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4, it says this, The slugger does not plow in season, so at harvest he looks but finds nothing. The sluggard becomes another thing is they become an expert at rationalizing everything. They're great at rationalizing. They are not stupid people, okay? These are not dopey people who just can't think. They can't get their head on straight. They're a little they're a little less intelligent than the rest of everyone. That's not the case. They're not stupid people. They survive on their wit and their ability to persu- to persuade other people of their challenging circumstances. Man, they can talk circles around you. I've had people sit and, and, and come to the office and tell me why they need something, and I'll start asking questions. Well, what about and how about and tell me, you said this before, but they, they are so sharp. They talk in circles and they'll talk in circles. They become expert liars, and they want to persuade you of their challenging circumstances and how on earth could you not help them based upon their mom, their cousin, their father, their son, their daughter, their wife, their whatever else, all the hard things that are going on in their lives. And you come to find out, in my positions, I do find these things out sometimes, they are completely fabricating all of these things. They are extremely intelligent. I think to myself sometimes, if these folks would take the mental energy it takes to lie and come up with all these excuses and use it to, to actually come up with a business idea, they'd be, they'd be millionaires. They'd be loaded. They, we'd be working for them. But they use, their, they use their, 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 their mental energy to basically avoid work. And when it comes to avoiding responsibilities, I'll tell you something. There's no one with a faster or clearer mind than a sluggard. They always have great reasons for their inaction, for why they can't do something. There's a lion outside. I might be killed. They're expert at making excuses. The point is the sluggard is an expert at fabricating a crisis to keep him from doing something he didn't want or she didn't want to do anyway. Wonderful. Excuses, excuses, and we get, and honestly, you get, you get kind of pulled into it. You buy into it sometimes because it sounds so, you know, so, oh, so needy and so overwhelming. And so you just, you, and you want to believe the person and that's what they feed on. They feed on your goodness and your desire to believe their story and you end up giving them money and they end up wasting that money. The Bible is clear, very clear that this lifestyle choice, it is a choice. A slugger chooses to be in poverty. Okay chooses to be in poverty. And this choice, this lifestyle choice will always lead to poverty. Proverbs 24, 33 and 34 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, just a little more rest, a little more time, a little more rest, and poverty will come on you. Everything will be started tomorrow. And in the meantime, my friends, you and I can provide for all their needs for today. And if you don't, what a, what a terrible Christian you are. What a terrible person you are that you wouldn't take care. Because if they just had, if they were just in, if you would just help them out, they've been so stiffed all their life. They've been dealt the wrong hand, yada, yada, yada. And for you not to give them what they need just to survive today is just terrible for you. And they know how to work on you too in your heart and make you feel guilty about, you know, what you're doing or what you're not doing. They're experts in that area. Proverbs give us even more insight into why sluggards are in the position that they're in. Proverbs 18.9 says, He who is slack in his work is brother to the one who destroys. Proverbs 19.15 says, Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless man goes hungry. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 13 tells us, Do not love sleep, or you will grow poor. Stay awake, and you will have food to spare. Proverbs 21, 25 and 26, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work, refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. And when that person can't avoid, when they can't avoid working, they're open to scheming to make money as easy as possible. They want to scheme. They want to figure out how they can get money as easily as possible. Proverbs chapter 12, 11 and 12 says, He who, la- he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who, c- who chases fantasies lacks judgment. The wicked desire the plunder of evil men, but the root of the 
righteous flourishes. There's a there's a, a, a big building, a big mud building in Nigeria in our in our, um, in our village there. And on the side of, this, of the building, it says lazy ones do not eat. In Nigeria, the, vi- the village elder basically put on the side of that building lazy ones do not eat. People say, how that's mean. How can you do that? That's not mean. It's not wrong. Telling people I'm not going to enable you to continue in this behavior for the rest of your life is a compassionate and loving thing to do. Enabling a person to be a sluggard their entire lives is robbing them of their God-given purpose and responsibility for why they were created. So when you sit back and say, oh, you know, they don't know. Maybe we just help them this one time. You're, You're making a mistake. They're taking you. Okay, you're wasting your money. What you need to do is invest in the person's life and help them realize that they're going down the wrong path and they continue down this path. Their lives are going to be ruined. Their family's lives are going to be ruined and their internal destiny is going to be ruined. That is the loving and merciful thing to do. Otherwise, you're enabling someone who could literally be destroying their own lives. Okay, so now let's 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 contradict that. Let's contrast that with the characteristics of a, a biblically poor person. Okay, someone who is actually poor. The Hebrew words for poor speak of one who has been basically wrongfully impoverished. It has to do with low economic status, usually due to calamity or some form of injustice or isolation or oppression. Proverbs chapter chapter 13, verse 23 says this. The poor man, the poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. This dude here, he wants to work. He works his field. He's trying really hard, but somebody else comes along and something unjust or some form of oppression or calamity comes along and wipes him out. It's not that he didn't want to work. It's not that he didn't want to plow his field. It's not that he wasn't out there sweating at the brow all summer long and spring and everything and getting ready for the harvest. But something happened that didn't allow him to bring in the harvest. And now he's in a difficult economic place. Hey, we've been there. You may not be a farmer here this morning, but you've, some of you have been there. In this bad economic time, you lost your job. You're, you're going through your savings. You're looking for another job. This is what the Bible talks about, someone being poor, someone being in a low economic situation. Those are the people that we need to invest our time and energy into. The poor person that the believer is responsible to take care of is willing to work or they're physically or mentally incapable of working. If someone is physically incapable of working, or emotionally or mentally incapable of working for a period of time, or a person just has you know, something happen in their lives, those are the types of people the Bible says that we are responsible, we are commanded to take care of. We, I am not commanded, nor are you commanded, to take care of in any way but give advice to a sluggard. You are commanded and expected to take care of those who are poor and in a difficult situation. You see, a poor person is looking for, a truly poor person is looking for a hand, they're looking for a hand up, not a hand out. They're looking for an opportunity. You know what makes Mexico so successful that we have back-to-back in, in ministries in Mexico? It's that we've invested in people for years and years and years. And what we've done is given them opportunity. You give a poor person opportunity, and you're going to get a return. You're going to get a return on your investment. There was a young man, he's about 20 years old, in Nigeria. And he came up, we, we were training people. We had a training seminars. We took business material and we as a group were training young entrepreneurs in Nigeria. We had about 31 at one meeting and about 20 at another meeting. And we just gave them advice and we were showing them, all right, what's your business? What's your plan? Who are your customers? What's your competition? We went through all this business planning. It was really, it was really exciting for me to, to be a part of that. And there was, a lot, there was a lot of people in that room. All the people in that room wanted an opportunity. A few of them were amazing. One young man was making shoes, leather shoes, like Tiva kind of shoes. I wish we could get them here in a cheap way because I'd sell him here for him. He was outstanding. What he was looking for was an opportunity. He had a business plan. He was working hard. He hired one or two other people to try to make the shoes for him. He needed a, he needed a stronger plan for the future. He needed some resources. He needed an opportunity. So if you invested your money in that young man, you'd see a return on your money. He would hire people. He would take care of himself. He would take care of his family. He would, he would, he would grow in an economic way. He would, he would, he would help those around him. If If you give your money to a slugger, guess where your money goes? In a hole. 
You just lost it. It's worthless. You gave, you might as well have taken your money, dug a hole, and buried your cash. Or throw it in a well. Flush it in the toilet. Same thing. That's the end result. Except it's not harmful to flush your money in the toilet, except you're not supposed to do that, all right? But it's harmful to give money to someone who's a slugger because you're harming them and you're harming those around them who, who really need that person to get their lives right with the Lord and with them and live the kind of life that God has called them to live. Here at Grace Chapel, we're all about helping the poor. You know that if you come here for more than two days, you know we're all about helping the poor. But we have absolutely, positively no desire to give anything to a slugger except really good advice. Because that is the merciful, the, the, the most gracious, loving, compassionate thing we can do for someone. I have friends who work in Appalachia. And in Appalachia, they, they started a food pantry. You know, you want to go there, you want to help the poor. And so they started a food pantry and they called the people in the community. They said, we have all this food and we want to help you. We want to give you a little extra boost so you can get on your feet and try to find a job and these kinds of things. You know what the people, some of the people, not all, I'm not making, I'm not making blanket you know, condemning statements. But you know what the people in that community did? They came to the missionaries and basically said, uh, here's our grocery list. The missionary said, we want you to come. We want you to serve here. You know, you get groceries. But we want you to serve and help your community and, and start to use the gifts that God has given you. Instead, they came and handed their grocery list and said, we need you. Here's my address and here's my grocery list. Bring the food to my house. I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't want to come over there. I'm going to carry all the food all the way home. You have a car, you drive it over to my house. You bring the food to me. I'll lay on my porch or I'll lay on my couch, whatever, but you bring the food to me. And the missionaries were like, uh, I don't think so. And you say, well, that's pretty mean. How can I give the poor person who's laying on their couch any food? Is it really mean? Or is it mean to basically give someone in that situation some food to keep them, enabling them to lay there and not get out of that generational poverty? You need to invest, invest in people's lives. We need to be investing in the lives of others. So, so how do we make that determination between a sluggard and a poor person? It's kind of hard. And I know, I, I know it's hard, and I, we want to err on the side of helping. I mean, if you want to err, err on the side, you know, God's not going to judge you for if you don't, you're not really sure, giving someone something. We want to err on the side of, of helping but, but what we want to do when someone comes to you and asks you for something, start praying in your mind while they're talking to you for discernment, for wisdom, for how to handle that situation. Pray and ask God for that kind of discernment to know if you're just wasting your time and money. But here are a few tips to guide us through this. All right, number one, here's how avo- you need to, number one, avoid hit and run service projects. What is a hit and run service project? Let me list a few. Handing out food to professional sluggards. I know what I want to do this Saturday. Let's all load up in a van. Let's drive down to wherever and some other and give out food to people who are standing around the side of the road. Now, you, there may be a lot of people on the side of the road, maybe one or two of them really are poor and really would like to, you know, to, to, to help. That's, again, uh, but the reality is if that's, if that's your plan for helping to, to, to eliminate systemic poverty, if your plan is to run down, load people up in a van and run down and just hand out stuff to people, um, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake. Saying yes to every, and, uh, and I, uh, every, I want to say, I said oh, a sob story, okay? Saying yes to every sob story that comes along with, without, without really looking into it. Someone comes to you and says, I'm really hungry, I need some food. I just need $5 and I'll get some food. You know what you do? You take them to McDonald's and you buy them some food. Don't just hand them $5. Don't hand them three. Don't hand them 50 cents. Don't give them a nickel. Don't take the penny out of your shoe and give it to them. Don't give them anything. Take them and get some food for them. Here's why. Because then you can invest in that person's life. You can take them to McDonald's and while you're buying them food, maybe you can sit down with them and you can take the time to talk to them and find out if they're truly down and out and poor and need some help. And then you can invest in that person's life and spend some energy doing that rather than just handing. You know what it is sometimes? You're just making the person go away. Here, here's two bucks. Go away. I would rather, if I had the time, take the time to bring the person to McDonald's or wherever else, buy them a meal and talk to them about their lives and how we can help them improve and move on with their lives. There's great organizations in downtown Cincinnati and all around this country for people who truly want the help. And we need to invest in their lives and help them find those places so they can get the help. Another one, avoid not, 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 you know, not don't take the... You, 
don't you got to avoid the, the uh, not assessing a situation. Sometimes we don't assess situations before we just jump right in. OK, you, you, you just you see something and you just jump right in when you're going to help. You're going to give money. You're going to give all the and you don't assess the situation. Here's here's the problem with that. You and I could be getting in God's way of what God wants to do in that person's life by jumping in and helping every single time. Maybe God has a plan for that person's life and God wants to get that person in a position where he says, hey, listen, have you hit rock bottom yet? I have a plan for your life. I have something special for you. I've created you with a purpose. And until you get to that point in your life where you realize that you're not going to get a handout anymore, you're not going to get all these things, you're not going to be entitled to everything that comes your way, then I can truly start working with you. But then what we do is we jump in and don't assess the situation and maybe, maybe, just a thought, getting God's way. Or maybe we encourage generational poverty. Keep on giving and keep on giving and keep on giving. And as the other kid grows up and they become the same situation, we need to assess the situation. Avoid supporting ministries with no accountability. If there's ministries, get involved in ministries that have accountability, that you can look at and say, these people have made a difference in the lives of others. With stewardship comes responsibility. When God has given you, he's given you the resource that you have. You are responsible for how you use the income then. Here's part of the problem. Often in ministry, we serve the poor, not to transform other people's lives, but so that we feel good about what we're doing. I don't mean to be really too harsh this morning, but honestly, you got to look at your own motives sometimes. Why am I doing this? Why am I getting involved in this? Is it because you truly want to see that person's life transformed? Or is it because it makes you feel good to, to go down and hand out whatever to whoever? Real outreach ministry, my friends, has purpose and goals in mind. Hit and run ministry basically loads people up in a van, runs them down without any kind of thought or idea given to it, and basically hands stuff out to people. At, that, what? At least go through an organization and give, the, give those resources to the organization so they can give to the people who, who, as a part of a program to help people move from poverty, okay, out, out of systemic poverty, that least invest in the lives of ministries that have thought this through. People will say, well, I, we help people. Or, have you really? Um, how, how do you know? How do you know you just didn't enable someone to continue down a path that leads to their ultimate death? Here's five bucks. Good, good, good. Here's two bucks. Good, good, good. Here's 50 cents. Good, good, good. Here, here. Good, 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 good. And the person ends up dead in the gutter. Overdose. Alcohol poisoning. How do, how do you know that you, you helped? That's what I'm saying. We need to take the time. This is why, we're, uh, this, is why this sermon is going to take two parts. Because I couldn't just get up here and say, look at what we're doing at Grace Chapel. This is wonderful. And get everybody fired up and everybody goes out and starts get, just doing all kinds of... No, no. What's the plan? What plan? Do, if you're going to put money in that offering box, what's the plan? What is the Grace Chapel's plan for eliminating systemic poverty in our own church, in our own community, in our nation, and around the world? What's our plan? If our plan is to load you up in a van and start handing stuff out to people with the, you know, and then come back and go to another place and do it next week. I, I'm not sure I would want to give to anything like that. How do I know that people's lives are being transformed? That's what we're talking about here. Real problems need real solutions. It takes an investment of time. Listen, get involved in a ministry with a track record of basically uh, transitioning people from poverty to productivity. Get involved in a ministry that you can see that these people have to show me results. I've taken this person in this situation. And now they're productive members of the community and that we help them. We help them. We gave them a hand up. We gave them a hand up. We didn't give them a hand out. We gave them a hand up. Get involved in ministries like that. Support ministries like that. Pick one family or individual who's in need and invest in them over a long period of time. Your family, pick one family that is in need and invest in that family over a long, I'm talking five, six, seven, eight, ten years sometimes it takes to break generational poverty and get people out of the situation they've been in for their entire lives. They're not used to working. They're used to being sluggards. They're used to laying around. Their father did it. Their grandfather did it or whatever else. It's going to take years for you to invest in that person's life and love them to the point where you can get them out of the situation. Try focusing on those who work hard to get out of poverty themselves. I have a motto. It's just it's how I live my life. I'm not working harder than you are on your problem. Why should I work harder than you on your problem? Now, I will give you my life. 
I will give you my money. I will give you my time. My family will invest in you. We will love you. We will put up with you. We will do whatever it takes as long as you're moving forward and you're working hard to overcome the situations that, hey, some of us have been dealt pretty difficult hands in life. But I'll tell you, I'll give you the shirt off my back and the life and the breath that I have if your desire is to, is to move forward and becoming the person that God has created you to be. But don't expect me to charge the hill with a sword by myself and drag you along behind me. That is not a good use of my time, my resources, the church's resources, or anybody's time or resources. And we need to make that decision. Because if we're going to make a difference in the world, we have to focus. We can't be 10 miles wide and 2 inches deep. We need to be deep. We need to be focused on helping those that God has put in our paths. Use the gifts and abilities that God has given you to create solutions to eliminate systemic poverty. Here at Grace Chapel, that is our goal. That is our desire. We are trying to think outside of the box. We are, we are, we are, we are putting our time and energy in, into finding real solutions to the poverty issues that surround us, to the truly poor people around us. We're trying to f- come up with creative ways to make a difference. And we do that in traditional ways. You hear some of these wild things, and I'm going to talk about them in a second. Let me share a few things that we're doing, just kind of run through these. Okay, first... Here's some of the things that we're doing. We're taking care of those in our own body who are struggling. Every single month, we take care of someone in this church who's having trouble, lost their job, whatever else, and we invest large amounts of money in people's lives and make sure they don't lose their house, they don't lose this, they don't lose that. It's hard for us to keep up sometimes. We do the best we can investing in the lives of people in this church because they are serving here, because they, this is their home, this is their body, and we're going to take care of people at home first. So we're doing that on a regular basis. We do prison ministry. I've been visiting Eric Cox for nine years. He's been in prison. He was the first person that was led to Christ here at Grace Chapel. Had a really tough up, uh, you know, time growing up. And I, he's, been in, he's been in prison for nine years. I visit him for nine, almost every month for nine years. He's going to Moody to get his bachelor's degree. He wants to go into full-time ministry. He ministers within the prison. And while he's there, he sees that as his, his place to serve, his people to invest in. He does all kinds of Bible studies because I've invested in his life and he sees God working in his life. So we do prison ministry here at the church as well. We do ministry to, or, to widows and single moms here at the church, helping out all the time with getting people caught cars, working on people's things. We had a mom call whose house burnt down this week, a single mom. And we didn't say, well, are you sure you're not a sluggard? You know, you know, it's like, we basically said, what are your needs? Now, if we're wrong and she's, and she's, you know, and she's playing us, that's not my responsibility to, you know, she said, if you, she even said, if you want to check up on my story, you certainly can, blah, blah, blah. We said, we don't need to check up on your story. What are your needs? Here's a voucher to the thrift store. We'll come in church, give us a list of things. We'll put in a swap. We'll, we'll take care of your needs. So we do that for people in our community. And a lot of the, we have widows in our church as well as single moms. And we try to take care of them on a regular basis. We give vouchers to our thrift store all the time for people. The church pays for people to go shopping at the thrift store for things they need. We serve the elderly at Chesterwood Village every week, every Tuesday night. We're in there serving. People will say all the time, you you stop them from saying this, okay? You hear it sometimes. Well, Grace Chapel, they're great at global outreach, but they're not very good at local stuff. What? Have you lost your mind? That's what you say. What? Have you lost your mind? Start off like that. That's always a good way to start a conversation off. Are you mad? Or are you just... No, I'm just kidding. Are you... (laughs) We do things all the time. Weekly, we go to Chesterwood Village and invest in the lives of the elderly there. Our, our, our uh, singles ministry, SALT, is, is once a week going into our community and serving within the community. Our food pantry serves six, over 600 people now, 300 adults, 225 children, and 85 people who are elderly. We serve those people on a weekly basis. We also do some amazing non-traditional forms of service. Starting next Sunday, April 17th, our junior high and high school students are going to start a program on Sunday mornings during second service called Innovate. And here's what we're going to do. It's focused on serving the community and the world in a way that's innovative and creative that it will eliminate poverty. We want to help them, we, our students, to eliminate poverty. And we're going to allow them to use their minds in doing that. They will be able to work with the aquaponic system that we have at Bankins, Flores, and Greenhouses. We have two aquaponic systems there. One is for an urban setting and one is for a larger setting. We've taken the model that we've used in, in, in setting it up at Bankins, Flores, and Greenhouses and we've planted it now in Joss, Nigeria. We have a working aquaponic system in Africa that runs completely on solar. It's all solar, okay? 
And it's, it's been amazing. I, I, it's so exciting. We worked together on that, and now we have that working model there. So we want our kids to basically develop environmentally friendly solutions to local and global com- uh, poverty. And you say, well, man, hey, it's a Sunday school class. You know why kids are bored by the time they're uh, sophomores and stuff in church sometimes? Because we teach them the exact same stories over and over again, and they're not really bringing real life into the church. We want to bring all of real life into the church. What do we say a couple weeks ago? If it's not sinful, it's what? Sacred, right? There's no secular. So if something's not sinful, it's sacred. We should be doing those things in the church. Why do you think we have artwork, this whole series, out in the foyer? To show what God's people are doing, using their gifts and their talents and their abilities. We want our kids to awaken their imagination, open up their minds, and use use science and technology to help transform lives of the people that are in need. We're going to bring someone in, we've talked to them already, and train our students on Sunday morning how to build solar panels going to build solar panels. Now, I'm not sure this will work, so don't hold me to it and say, you said it was going to, we're going to do this and it won't work, but here's what I'd like to see happen. I'd like to see our students build solar panels, put solar panels in a giant 40,000 square foot building and generate our own electricity we can sell back, and so we're basically heating and doing electric in that building for, for less money. Letting our students be environmentally conscious about how we're doing things here at the church, using their gifts and abilities. There are so many kids who have great scientific minds. They have great minds to think through. They're, they're incredible. There are seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds in this church who are going to be, who are going to be world leaders in different areas of technology. And you know where they're going to learn the most? Right here at church. They're going to hear about it everywhere else. And everybody yammering and talking about what they're going to do with environmental stuff and global stuff and feeding the poor. And everything that they're really going to be excited about is happening right here at the church. That's where they're going to use science and technology and their minds and their creativity and their art and their drama right here at the church. Everything worth talking about, worth doing, or worth getting excited about is going to happen right here. Kids are going to want to come to church every Sunday because they won't want to miss the exciting, dynamic things that are going on all around them all the time. That's what we're doing with our students. I would love to start a, a life group, and if you'd be interested, talk to me this week sometime. Give me a call or email me. Start a life group for adults who would like to do the same thing. We have scientists in this church who are talking about growing algae for, to feed the fish and all this kind of stuff and use it for technology. We have people who have sat around, adults, who come to me with their bulletins, and you know, I was amazed. I thought they'd be taking Bible references, and they're basically drawing up an aquaponics system that uses not water but something else as a medium for blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, now we're talking. Let's talk algae in church. Let's talk science in church. Let's talk all these things in church and allow God to use the minds that he's given us to, to impact this world. If it's not wrong, it's right. If it's not sinful, it's sacred, and we should be doing it and encouraging and inspiring our children to get involved. Our children's ministry is setting up an aquaponics system in one of the rooms right back here. We're going to put koi in a fish tank, about 150 koi in about a 200-gallon tank. Koi are those pretty Japanese carp things. We're going to stick those in there. We're going to grow, we're going to grow vegetables in there along with the koi in the back room right here in the church. The kids are going to go back there, going to work on that system, feed the fish, test the water. And know what else they're going to do? They're going to work with their parents in coming up with a business plan to sell those koi or a buck a piece of this big. They're $25, $30 a piece when they get about this big. So we're going to have this money. I want the students, I want the children to come up with a business plan of how we're going to sell those koi on the market. So now the kids are learning how to do business here at church. They're understanding economics and they're thinking about how they can help those who are in need. That's what we want. We want people using every gift, ability that they have to work within the church. Erase the lines. If you're confused right now and you're saying, this doesn't sound like church, you're in the wrong church. Okay? Because when people ask me, why are we doing aquaponics? And I, I, I don't understand the question. Why would, we, why would the church not do that? Why would the church not train people, young entrepreneurs? Why would the church not help people build a business plan to sell koi? Why would the church not? Is it sinful to do that? Someone tell me if it's sinful. Okay, if it's not sinful, then it's sacred. And why would we not do it? The kids, your kids, will grow up in a church where they're not going to be bored and want to go and not be a part of church anymore because there's so many things happening, they won't know what to do with themselves. They're going to, every, every gift that they have, they can use to serve God. And they're going to be a part of this church. They're going to be excited about coming on Sunday mornings. You're not going to have to beat them to get out of bed. You're going to, they're going to be kind of pulling you out of bed. I don't want to miss. Who's going to feed the fish? I'm responsible for such and such. Who's going to test the water? Who's going to do this? And all of it's with a biblical model. We're going to train. Who created the world? 
God did. Who created the universe? Okay, science is, is, is science part of the church as well? Yes, it is. Who, who came up with all the laws of science? Scientists? No. They only recognized the laws, but they didn't create them. God did. So we're going to use all those things. What are we going to use them for? To glorify God, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So this morning, I want to encourage you. We're going to be building a community garden behind the yellow house on the property back here. There's a big open lot back there. We're going to fence that in. I need someone who can build a chicken, small chicken coop. If you work for the town of Mason, please ignore me for a second because um, I don't want to check and see if we're allowed to have chickens back there. I just want to build a chicken coop. Um, we're going to, we, have, we have a chicken farm that has 200 chickens. We'll soon have 600 chickens in a chicken farm in Nigeria. We're making, we'll be making a lot of money selling chickens and hiring people to run that business. I want to learn how to do that here. I want our kids to understand it, and our teenagers to understand it, and our adults to understand it. So when I take you to Nigeria, you can bring your abilities, your gifts, and what you've learned to play in that business. So we're going to build a chicken coop back there. We're going to grow, uh, raise gardens and all kinds of... Fun. You ever go through the Disney, the, 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 it's called the, the land in Disney World? You go through there and they show you all kinds of funky ways to do things. I want to do funky things back there. How to grow certain things in small spaces, large spaces. We can do, we can do, we have a thing called urban harvest we're going to do in the inner city in people's basements. We can put aquaponics on the roof or in the basement and grow vegetables and fish in small, small spaces. Those are the kinds of things that we want to do to show people the love of God and to show people that they can use. Can you imagine kids in the inner city working with aquaponics and realizing I'm a really smart person? I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. And this is not the best way to do it. I can do it a better way. That's what we need to do. That's, what we, that's, the, way, that's the way we need to be thinking. So we want to, we want to build that, that community garden. And we want to grow food that will then give to our food pantry and serve the people in need in our community. Okay, so that's one of the things that we're going to do back there. If you want to learn more about how to grow those kinds of things, Mike Bankin's going to do a seminar on May the 11th, I believe, at 6.30. It's part of our seminar series we're doing here at church. And May the 11th here at the church, 6.30, Mike's going to be talking about how to build raised gardens and do some of those things so you can get involved and do it at home, and then you can donate the food as well. See, we want our students to see their faith applied in every area of their lives. Every area of their lives. And let me, let me just kind of close off with this. Um, I want to stick with the aquaponic system for a second. You know, what we did as a church, we say we want to, we are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. About nine months ago, I saw, I, I've been thinking about aquaponics for years, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I really don't. I can't build things very well. I'm getting better, but especially that kind of thing, I'm not very good. I threw it on Facebook. I said, I would like someone to write an article and do research on aquaponics. One of the people in our church said, I'd love to do that. Wrote a whole article on our website, on our self-sustaining enterprises website about aquaponics. Along comes a few other people who are engineer type people and people who are do landscaping. And they took that and the Bankins allowed us to use their greenhouses this winter in February. And we built an aquaponics system in the Bankins greenhouse. And then once we got the models down, like I said before, we then went to Nigeria two weeks ago and built an aquaponics system in Nigeria. All of that in less than a year. We, are, we have an aquaponic system running on, like I said, that, that, uh, that technology, um, solar technology, in the middle of an African village with no electricity whatsoever in less than a year. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of awakening our imagination. I want, I want to inspire innovation and creativity in our church. I want people to invent I want people to, to design, to improve, to develop. I want people using every gift that they have to serve the Lord and make a difference in this world. And let me give you a few examples as we close out. I'm going to show you two quick videos. I know we're a little bit over, but that's okay. I think it's been fun. Um, two quick videos. Everybody loves videos as we close out here. The first one is Scott Smith is one of our elders. He's been working on a, a, a website for years, investing his time and his money to develop this website to help out and increase and develop our swap wall, you know, to bring swap into the 21st century. And so this is just an example of the kind of creativity that is happening within Grace Chapel. Hit
Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. That's been in the works for years, and I want you to get in. Please get involved and sign up. It's kind of like a Facebook site as well, so you can connect with people you know, mission trips with. Like I said, keep involved. Now, I want to close off with two quick things. I want to show you one more video, um, but then there's some seeds up here. One of the things that you can do to help uh, this year, a simple thing, is there's a bunch of seeds, tomatoes, and all kinds of things that we're going to give to you this morning. Take some of these seeds home, one for family or a couple for family. Plant these seeds in the spring, harvest them in the fall, and then bring the food over to the food pantry so we can have fresh vegetables for those in the food pantry. Someone else said that he's a hunter and he's working out a deal with other hunters where they'll, they'll take so many deer and they'll give the, the venison to the ministry as well to hand out for people. I think it's a great idea. Those are the kinds of things I like to hear. So that's one way you can get involved. Another way you can get involved is certainly talk to me about helping out with building some of the um, structure for, the, for the, uh, the garden over there. And I want to close with this. Um, we will be... Um, talking in two weeks about our global outreach, because what I share with you this morning is the tip of the iceberg. So some of the things that we're doing, just the tip of the iceberg. So in two weeks, we're going to come back. We'll be here uh, Palm Sunday next week, Easter, and then, and then we'll close out this series in two weeks before we go into the book of Proverbs. But I just want to show you a video of Nigeria and kind of give you a taste of what we'll be talking about in a couple weeks.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we can spend together. We just pray to your God that you would truly bless each one of us in our church as a body, that we would be used by you to affect the lives of others who are in such great need. God, use us in our church, use us in our community, use us in our nation, use us in our world to make a difference, to transform the lives of others. Allow us to follow in your footsteps, the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and truly love people into the kingdom of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.